Hey, everybody. This is the time of the year where we remind you to become a member of The Incomparable. You will get an ad-free version of this very podcast, which is really nice. And there's so much more that you also get, including bootlegs, special members-only content. We're doing a whole bunch of that this month. Uh, you can support other shows on the network, not just this one. You can sort of spread out your love. Uh, $5 a month uh, is the base rate. Uh, so that it's not that much, and you get a lot of stuff. So if you like The Incomparable or our other family of podcasts, and you want to get, seriously, a great collection of bonuses, including the ad-free version of this show, including the bootlegs, bonus episodes, video feed of Total Party Kill, uh, what else is it? The Discord, a, a really lively Discord where people are talking about all sorts of stuff, not just the stuff we talk about on the podcast. So much more. Check it out, theincomparable.com slash members. The Incomparable, number 687, October 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Our book club is reconvened. Talk about things, some of which are books, sort of, because they can be published as books even if they're not long. And in fact, sometimes it's nice when books aren't long. Uh, so we're going to talk about some short stories, some of which you can just go read on the internet. What? And then others that you could buy. Uh, that are longer. Um, this is the end of our 2023 award shortlist cycle. We read nine novels nominated for the Hugo or Nebula Awards for Best Novel. We've talked about them. In this episode, we will rank them because why not? And also, we're going to talk about the Hugo nominees in the short fiction categories, Best Novella, Novelette, and Short Story, many of which are available to purchase and or just read on the internet. Joining me to talk about things that we read, as is our tradition here, are the following wonderful people. Aline Sims is here. Hello. Whew, it's been an interesting reading year, hasn't it? <laughs> in hindsight, yes, especially yeah. in hindsight, yes. We're, we will get into that, I suspect. Erica Ensign also here. Hello. I read everything except for one story that was not translated into English in any place I could find. Gold star. I There are a few things <laughs> that you. I did not read or did not finish. So gold star, Erica, good job. Woo. Your gold star can be redeemed anywhere. That No, I'm keeping that sucker. That's okay. mine. <laughs> Don't redeem it because it's not worth uh -uh. anything. Uh, except to you and to me. To me. <laughs> uh, Scott McNulty is also here. Hello, Scott. Hello. <gasps> I, I covet that gold star, which means <laughs> it has worth. <laughs> mm, that's right. You're just making things better for Erica all along. Mm -hmm. And Heather Berbera joins us, who did not have to read nine books, but did read some short <laughs> fiction. Hi, Heather. Hey, I am so excited to be in the book club. I can't wait to talk about the stuff I read. Thanks and, for having me. Uh, it's great having you here. And I'll just say 2024 right around the corner. And if you want to do the death march, I mean, <laughs> wonderful, delightful experience of reading all the novel nominations. You're welcome to. We've, oh, if you'll have me, I'm here. You just got to read them. That's the, that's the rule. We have a lot of we, people who talk. I'm just going to say this. I don't think that this of you. I'm really more referring to, I don't know, Dan Morin, maybe. Uh, where it's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And they're like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not going to read all those books. I, did, like, okay. I didn't get to them. It's okay. Well, it's Dan, Dan's got Dan's got a toddler. It's 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 fine. Mm -hmm. I understand. Oh yeah, I only have two toddlers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I accept the challenge. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Well, we'll yeah. we'll wait for the we'll wait for the reading list. I, I'm happy to have my reading life back though for the next few months, where I can just read yeah. whatever I want, and mm -hmm. I don't have to 
worry about. Oh, but there are, there are the, the the nebulas just came out, and that's five books for me to read. And yeah, um, but this short fiction is fun, and we usually kind of like jam through it at the end of our last episode of the novels, and we didn't do that this time, and so we're gonna do that now. I have spent. I just took a trip. I was reading lots of short fiction on the airplane, and <laughs> when I was in a long layover slash delay situation, I was just reading. Hugo nominees in the short fiction categories. Let's start with the best novella. These are things that are basically short books, which is nice because so. Mo- Do you know this? You know, movies are long these days, right? Did you know <laughs> books are long these days too? A lot of books. Some of them, yeah, mm-hmm. are real long, and that's they have this novella category, and it's basically it's long enough to be a book, but not a long book. And I actually got one of these out from the library, um, and. And Lauren handed it to me, and I was like, ooh, I didn't know they were allowed to make books this small. It's like 200 pages. It's yeah, so- I, in, in oh. our house, we refer to, the, we refer to those as the uh, Doctor Who target novelization length books, yeah. because that is the way that Stephen knows them, the length of a, a little novelization of a TV show. It's That's just a novella. Nice. It's a novella. Um, so I I, uh, I thought we would go through them and people can tell me uh, their thoughts about them if they read them. And uh, hopefully you, dear listener, will have some suggestions of things that you might want to read, especially in this novella category. Again, just delightfully, short books is what they are. Short books. Uh, let's start with, even though I knew the end by C.L. Polk, very interesting writer who we've covered here uh uh, other work by them uh, in previous uh, podcasts. This is a book that is a supernatural noir detective story. Our protagonist is a woman, but she is the noir detective in this story. She has sold her soul. Uh, there is a mystery that is a murder mystery that turns out to be a supernatural murder mystery, of course, involving demons and fallen angels and it is uh, very, just the texture of it is really evocative. I really enjoyed the texture of this. Does anybody else have things to say about it, even though I knew the end by C.L. Polk? I, I read it, and I I have really liked some other C.L. Polk stuff. You read them all, Erica. Well, I, I did, read it. That's a good point. Okay, all right. <laughs> Touche. Um, like, I think we talked about The Midnight Bargain, which just knocked yes. it out of the park for me, and I love that. So good I was book. excited really about this. Book. And I saw so much buzz about this on social media. They were like, oh, my God, C.L. Polk, this book killed me. And I I liked it, but I think maybe it was oversold to me by the people that I follow online or something, because I think I went in with really high expectations that like something somewhere in it at the end was just going to absolutely gut me. And nothing really did. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It was, you know, very sort of crime noir with magic. And that is definitely a realm that I enjoy. Um, and I thought it was a well-told story and I liked it. But uh, it it didn't completely like knock my socks off in any particular way. So I was just like, this is a good book and I would recommend it. But I'm not going to talk it up too much because I don't want people to be a little <laughs> let down like I was. Yeah. Uh-huh. I am partway through it at the moment and enjoying it, but uh, it could all go horribly wrong. No gold star for you, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm partway through a book later, so <laughs> just wait for it. <laughs> just wait for it. Anybody else read this one? No. No. Okay. Uh, I will ju- then just say, Erica, mm-hmm. I think I'm with you. Mm. I enjoyed this notice when i talked about how i enjoyed the setting i didn't mention things other than the setting i enjoyed the setting i enjoyed the 
um, there's a the relationship here where because again it's all so um, it's playing with as a lot of modern sci-fi and fantasy does, which is great. It's playing with a lot of these tropes. So it's Nora detective, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a woman, not a man. Cause all the Nora detectives are men trig- classically. Um, mm-hmm. And then she has a uh, girlfriend. Their love is forbidden sort of, uh, you know, as, as you Maybe know, in more than one way and <laughs> turns out in more than one way like that, that texture is really good too. I really liked mm-hmm. a lot of the detail. There is a, there is the, 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 client is this very uh, named marlo which is a nice tip of the cap is this very interesting mm-hmm. character as well S- scott i'm not going to spoil it for you scott but i will say i found the climax of the book after yep. all of this wonderful scene setting to be confusing unsatisfying mm-hmm. not really set up very well and and i got to the end and i thought oh Okay, I guess we're done. And it's too bad because <laughs> up to that point, I was really enjoying the vibe of it. But I don't know if C.L. Polk had had the end in their pocket. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I don't know. It just didn't, it, it fell apart right at the end. And I just kind of went, huh. So it was just a very surprising feeling for a, a texture that I really liked, uh, a style. I liked some a lot of the little bits in it. Um and I liked the dark room and the like taking pictures of like a supernatural murder scene and like all that stuff was really cool. And then um, at the end, I, I just thought it was a messy, um, unclear, not very well mm-hmm. plotted uh, climactic chapter. So I, I feel like I would like to read more in this universe. I think a different story told in this For world sure. might be something that I like better. So if they if you know if they come out with something else that's either with these characters or different characters in the same world, I'll probably check it out. Uh, I just I just hope that I will like it a little bit more. So if you like film noir stuff, if you like, mm-hmm. um, I might throw in like Angeli Clark and his. Um, the dead jinn stories this is not set in egypt or anything but it's 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 a little like that in that it's a detective story that feels familiar but with a real twist to it that's kind of fun mm-hmm. um you know it definitely i i enjoyed the ride but then i got to the end and i was just like nah <laughs> so and, and <laughs> the setting is very clever too because it's short as you mentioned jason mm-hmm. so you don't have you can't waste a lot of time world building unless the whole point of it the it is an exercise in world building. Uh, so setting it in kind of the setting that most readers one imagines would be at least vaguely familiar with right. lets you have a shortcut and then you can put on these additional layers of, you know, demons and angels and uh, right, that right. kind of stuff. So start I thought that was with, clever. Start with film noir and then I'll tell you how to modify it is basically mm-hmm. what the author does here. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on to into the Riverlands by Nevo, um, another writer we've covered here before. Mm-hmm. And this is a series that we covered. This is the third in a series that we covered the first novella of, I believe. Yeah, just the first one. Um, and this is, it, it is stories that are sort of, uh, they feel like they're coming out of Chinese mythology um, this is a trip through the Riverlands, certainly Asian mythology trip through the Riverlands. There's a motley crew, including a magic owl. Um, and they have some <laughs> adventures and tell some stories and it leaves you at the end asking your question, wait a second, are the people who are taking the trip, the legends that the stories are about, or do they just <gasps> resemble them or does mm-hmm. it matter? Oh. <gasps> 
Erica, you read this one because you read them all. <laughs> I did. Yes. Um, I I liked this. I thought it was fun. Uh, I, re- I loved the very first book in the series. I didn't particularly love the second one. And then this one, I think, was better than the th- the middle one, but not as as good as the first one. I really I enjoyed the characters. I liked it, it's a road trip story. It's a it's you know some people meet in a tavern and they need to get to a place, so they decide, well, let's travel together for safety, and they tell each other stories as they are going. And I thought it was very skillfully done the way that each of the stories sort of wove into each other and complemented each other. And then yeah, you get to the end and you're like wait a minute, was that story really about you? And like, in my head, I'm like, yes, yes, it absolutely was, because that's fun. Um, but it wasn't, I felt like it, the, the the first novella in the series was The Empress of Salt and Fortune. And I felt like it was just sheer poetry and just like it it, it hit my heart in just a, a, a specific way. This did not hit my heart in that way, but it was an enjoyable read. So thumbs up to this one, but not like huge, huge thumbs up. All right, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I, it it doesn't have the magic of that that Empress of Salt and Fortune first one. I didn't read the second one, but I'll take your word for it that it that it mm. wasn't as good. This wasn't as good as that first one either, but it's fun, and um, I do like the idea. It's very clear as they go. Like, there's that thing of like, maybe this is the what was it, the pig lady or maybe this is that mm-hmm. famous here because they do hero some heroic things along the road and there's this question and also there's an owl that remembers everything and talks um it, the it, it, there is that question right and i i think that's <laughs> i think that's the point is kind of like does it matter we're telling tales and this is a tale yeah. too and within the tale they tell tales it's like eh, okay so and, and there's a lot of interesting texture as they're making their way through when they find a dead body and they bury it and they're worried about like the bandits and there's they find a like there's just a it's not the journey itself is not super eventful but it is a a, mm-hmm. a way to hang a bunch of tails on it so yes yeah it's a good it's, framework yeah. basically right. all right another writer we have covered here before Alex E Harrow um. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it, this book is a uh, novella a mirror mended i read it and did not know that it is actually <laughs> uh a a direct sequel mm-hmm. to another book in what is apparently the fractured fables series yep um and the first book do you know that name erica yeah it's spindle it's called splintered. a spindle splintered and it's, which uh, i loved like so loved I, I i've gone back and bought that now a mirror mended though i can tell you you could read it without having read a spindle splintered because i did and i didn't know it was a sequel at all wow that's this that's is, really cool to me because i i just can't even imagine just simply because it's think, such a direct sequel <laughs> i think erica the, the point is that if you there's it's hard to tell the difference between let me remind you of all the things that happened in the last Mm. book and interesting scene setting of who this character is. And so for me, it was just like, this character is kind of a sleeping beauty. uh, And she's going from place to place, saving other sleeping beauties, like from multi, like parallel storytelling universe to parallel storytelling universe. And then in, in a mirror mended, she gets chucked into, she actually gets summoned, by an evil queen using a magic mirror. She gets sucked into Snow White universes where she doesn't really belong and she meets the queen and they 
they go to various alternate Snow Whites. And it's very clear, at least it was very clear to me from the beginning, that the whole reason she's there is because the evil queen has said, "Show mirror, mirror on the wall, show me someone who can get me out of here. And they're like, well, <laughs> we got just the person for you. It's this sleeping beauty over here. We're going to bring her in. And, uh, you know, I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely oh, adored this and that's why I'm going to read the first one, go back in time a little bit, find out how this all came to be. I just, I love toying with the idea of, of, uh, of, of these fairy tales and the, which themselves have been toyed with over the years and so, sort of saying there's so many different variations and that in this universe, the, the, that is this variation and in this other universe, it's this different variation. And then there's this character who's ping ponging between them, sort of not saving herself, uh, and and ignoring her trying to save herself by trying to save others instead and and then the twist of having the evil queen be kind of the um not the antagonist but sort of the sidekick slash potential romantic interest of the protagonist is it's just it's a lot of fun so i loved it mm-hmm. Yeah, I suspect that you you might not like the first one as much as this. Uh, I think I have referred to myself previously as a princess completionist because I am always interested in reading the different takes on the classic fairy tales about the princesses. And the first one, Spindle Splintered, is a little bit more straightforward of a, you know, my name is Zinnia Gray. Uh, there was an industrial spill near where I grew up, so I have this rare disease and I'm going to die. And it's, you know, and I probably still shouldn't be alive anymore at this this point and stuff happens and she ends up with the ability to basically travel through the multiverse yeah. um and the the thing that that sort of is able to pull her through is how close her own her own existence her own story is to the tale of sleeping beauty and she's been a fan of sleeping beauty since she's a little kid because she knows she's going to she's going to die mm. um so the first one is a little bit more straightforward this is just a, like a sleeping beauty kind of story and then i feel like a mirror mended really takes that idea and you know not only does it chuck her into a different fairy tale but it also does a lot more to examine the differences between fairy tales and the echoes between fairy tales and like the similarities. Cause you know, there are a lot of things that show up in different, not just different versions of the same fairy tale, but different fairy tales from, from place to place. Right. You know, there's only so many things you can do with princesses and fairy tales do a lot of them. And there's a lot more, I think, examination of her own situation and her own story in terms of the stuff that she's got going on in the real world. And that she's sort of trying to escape by, escaping through the multiverse and and using this spindle to prick her thumb to be able to go from place to place to dimension to dimension. And not only like both of the books talk about the different versions of fairy tales and how, you know, the I love the the picture that they tell of the of uh, picture the multiverse like a great big book. It's a book of fairy tales. (laughs) And if you write the same if you write the same fairy tale enough times, the ink will like dribble down from page to page and soak through. And that's how she's able to travel through the multiverse. It's just there's a lot of really good uh, visual uh, cues in this book that in both of these books that I, I liked a lot. So I, I love them both. And I don't know if there's going to be another one. If there is, I will 100 hmm. percent read it. Um, I, I really like uh, Alex E. Harrow's work. I think she's great. So Alex E. Harrow wrote uh, The 10,000 Doors of January, which was a shortlist book uh, in 2019. And I like that one a lot, too. So Big thumbs up to Alex E. Harrow. And uh, mm-hmm. this is a good one. A mirror mended. And sure, you can start with the first one if you want. 
don't be like me, I guess. But you can or yeah, don't can. or I be mean, like yeah. me. Who cares? <laughs> I got works. this one as an audiobook from the library. So my mm-hmm. strategy next year is to look at the library for novellas first thing because yes. yeah. what mm-hmm. I did this year was I was like, I'll read the short ones first and then I'll read the novellas at the end. And that did not pan <laughs> out for happen. me. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. Next, it is another familiar author, Adrian Tchaikovsky. Written a lot. I read this oh, man. one. Oh man! Yay! R- r- written a lot of really cool novels. This is a novella called Ogres. Uh, now, th- there has been some people. I've had some people say, "Oh, but Ogres is one in a a series, and it's later in a series." And I will just say, "No, it's not. Uh, it it is a se- it is a series only in the sense that there is a grouping called Terrible Worlds that Tchaikovsky has written a bunch of novellas in, uh, because they're thematically kind of like similar, but it's not a series. Don't call it a series. <laughs> it's not a series. Ogres is about a world where there are genetically uplifted masters who lord it over genetically wandered down peasants, but sometimes. Those watered down genes just keep coming back and you might end up being a revolutionary who overthrows the status quo. And that is Ogres. Um, Tchaikovsky, wild stuff. Who? Okay. Erica, Gold Star, you read this. Aline, I did. you read Let's, this? I'll let somebody, else, I did. let somebody else talk about this one because I already got to talk a bunch. I also read this one. Yes. Okay. Aline. Yeah. Ogres. So I read this one yesterday and today, so it's very fresh in my mind. Um I don't I don't even know where to start with it. For okay, one thing, it is written in the second person present tense, mm-hmm. which I talked yes. about with Harrow the Ninth a little bit. Um or Nona the Ninth, I think, where no, it was Harrow. Um they're all one big book in my ninth, brain. Um anyway, <laughs> the ninth. Second person, present tense, very hard to write and pull off and not be a a slog. Like, there's a reason we don't see a lot of books (laughs) written Mm -hmm. in this style. And I was kind of like the first couple of chapters just reading it in awe that that it was actually working (laughs) as a book because (laughs) it's just a really hard hard perspective to pull off. Um, And... It's it's all about um, this human um, peasant who who kills the son of the ogre landlord um, and mm-hmm. then is on the run and um, it just I don't know on paper it doesn't sound like it should work it sounds like it'd be just a very trite story but I think the combination of the um of the perspective and of the twist in the middle which i don't know if we should yeah we assume people have read these right if if you're really a spoiler averse i mean we could i would say tread lightly but yeah if you if you should just go look at the list of nominees if you don't want to listen to this podcast before you're (laughs) spoiled right yeah gentle so the 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 twist um i think i revealed is, it in my quick summary by the way yeah you, you kind of did like uh, 
how did this you world think come to be? It, right. You think you, you think that this is a fantasy world or something that happened in the far past. Turns out it's the far future. Um, and I was like, oh, I, I, I actually didn't see that one coming. I didn't didn't even occur to me that that might happen. And I don't know. I just I loved it. How it went in my brain from being a fantasy book to a science fiction book with like no qualms. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was just, it was really well done. I, I liked it a lot. Scott? I agree. Uh, I think he uh, uh, enjoys this. I mean, he wrote, what is the, the Elder... Elder Race, which Elder was Race, my favorite from last year, yeah. And has a similar kind of twist and kind of blending of genres. Uh, so he clearly likes to, to do this. So I wasn't as surprised, but I was still surprised. And I, I thought it was very um, well done that he kind of uh, dribbles out the information. So when it starts off, you're like, oh, this is just, you know, uh, you know, a kind of quasi medieval thing. And then it becomes clear that it isn't. And then you're like, well, what, maybe this is just magic. And then it becomes clear that it isn't. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, and so, uh, I thought it was quite enjoyable. I read it very quickly. Uh, and, uh, those ogres, not very nice. It's cause it's short, you see. <laughs> It's true. Unlike ogres, and you know, they're very tall. And sp- yeah. And speaking of uh, like f- fairy tales and and twists on things, like there's there are little bits and pieces I think of of, of fairy tales in here too. Because for a while it's like, oh, he's he's sort of become Robin Hood. That's exciting. And so that that also kind of helped me. It fooled me into thinking, oh yeah, this is this is fantasy. This is taking place in the past. This is an alternate alternate Earth, something like that. Uh, and then like the more it goes on, the more you're like, wait, there's there's trains okay so now it's steampunk like okay that's not that's not my favorite thing but i'm willing to go along with it because again like second person fascinating when it works uh yeah i i really appreciated the characterization of of all of the the characters there's a an ogre mentor that the main character has for a while and she is like it, it you know very um, it's a it's a book that makes me a little bit sad because even in this weird alternate future, there's still an awful lot of sexism even among ogres. Um, but she manages to stand up for herself, and you know she's not exactly a good guy, but she's also not the worst of the bad. And <laughs> it just and then there's a character that sort of comes out of nowhere that if you're not paying attention, at the end you go, holy moly, okay, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty cool. Uh, and then. Uh, I won't say why, but I will say at the end you find out why it is told in second person, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. Bit. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's great. I enjoyed it too. Um, think very good. I didn't like it as much as as Elder Race. It's going to be hard for me to like anything as much as Elder Race, but <laughs> it's very good. Adrian Tchaikovsky is about as good as there is out there in the sci-fi fantasy realm right now. I think um, uh, just doing great work, and and this is a. Uh, yes, that that moment where you're like, oh, okay, this is not your fantasy. This is this is something different and more sinister um, because mm. it has implications for that more direct for today than <laughs> it was before. Yeah, really good. All right, what moves the dead? By T. Kingfisher, yet another writer who you've heard of here before. <laughs> uh, in fact, Nettle and Bone, a, no- a novel nominee. This is a novella that is based on Fall of the House of Usher. Um, And I have to do uh, what Scott did earlier and say, I'm reading this right now in a very (laughs) delightfully small 
paper book without a lot of pages in it, <laughs> which I got from the library. And that's great. I have enjoyed it so far, but I've only read a very small amount of it. So no gold star for me. Um, who actually read this? Uh, I did. Erica. All right. <laughs> uh, Goodreads is telling me I read it and I don't remember it. Okay. I'm, I am. I too am pulling a Scott right now. Wow. Oh. That's, that's true. <laughs> I have much influence. Mm. Well, I gave bad, it, though. Gave it four stars. Okay. Aline doesn't remember a thing about it, but seems <laughs> to have liked it. Maybe Erica will jog your memory, Erica. Well... I certainly did not give it four stars. Um, I we when we did our episode talking about the um, oh yeah daughter of Doctor Moreau coming book. In. yeah like I <laughs> don't particularly love the you know the the mid century gothic horror take on like old take classic, on it yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel like she, she she does a good job I mean T K Fisher she's a great writer and she I think she did what she set out to do and I think she did it fine I just I've never actually read the Fall of the House of Usher because it doesn't interest me at all. Um, I like the main character, but I kind of didn't didn't care so much about this really creepy house and these sickly people in it and a house full of mushrooms, which is something that speaking of the daughter of Dr. Mo, hey, uh, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia mm-hmm. did, did that uh, in another book, which apparently mm-hmm. I read the afterword. T. Kingfisher was... <laughs> was working on this book and then came across uh, that other book. I've forgotten the name of it at this point. Mexican Gothic. Gothic, yeah. Mexican Gothic, yes. So she came across that and then she trunked this book for a while because she was like, well, Sylvia did it. <laughs> and yep. She did it great. But then later somebody talked to her and she's like, yeah, but, you know, everybody can tell their own version of different stories. And this is not the same story, but it still is a creepy house with a lot of mushrooms. And mm-hmm. I didn't particularly love that aspect of that other one. So I just, this one didn't do it for me. I don't know. Aline, obviously you liked it more. Do you remember a bit of it now yeah it's it's slowly dribbling back into my brain um i i do agree though i think it gets a lot of leeway for me because it's t king fisher and i i aka ursula vernon and i love her writing like she (laughs) is such a um competent writer um which sounds like faint praise, but but she just whatever she does, she does it well. And this was done very well. And also um, fungus taking over creatures and making them creepy is not my bag. And so mm-hmm. um, I just I don't I'm um, as T. T Kingfisher, she writes um, a fair amount of uh gothic horror and they're just never my favorite books um but she gets like she automatically gets like an extra half star just because i like everything she does um so i think if if you're into kind of creepy gory stuff this is for you and if you're not into creepy gory stuff this is definitely something to not read Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you feel about Edgar Allan Poe and that type of writing the way I feel about princesses and fairy tales, I yes! think this book is going to be 100% yeah. your jam. It is It is done well. The thing that I, I like a lot about it, probably the most, is the, the main character uh, is a sworn soldier. So they are, uh, and there's quite a bit about pronouns in this because they come from a country where once you sign up to be a soldier... 
you are given the pronouns of a soldier and they are mm-hmm. specific pronouns and nobody calls you anything else. And as a child, there are pronouns for children. And I, I found that like a really interesting uh, sort of take on gender identity. And uh, and this character meets an American, which is just like the worst possible per- kind of person you can run into in a stately manor house, which, you know, that part made me laugh quite a bit and like just doesn't know what to think about this uh, this main character. Um, because uh, because they this American dude who is kind of a doctor and is kind of there to to, uh, to investigate what's going on with the poor sickly residents of the house like he just doesn't know what to think of the of our main character Alex Easton um, so you know there are some interesting uh, interactions between the characters that I that I liked enough uh, and it's definitely the mystery I think is told told well I kind of d- didn't know enough about what was happening until toward the end to you know so that it stayed interesting um but if it wasn't nominated for an award i'm not sure it was interesting enough that i would have wanted to keep reading not sure bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer archaea energy and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. Fair enough. It's, uh, Mm -hmm. like I said, well-written. Yep. Uh, Interesting. You mentioned the interesting sort of like world uh, setting setting twist there. You'll Mm -hmm. know it if you want to read a book like this, for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, next is the latest in the Wayward Children's novella series, which we've talked about here in many episodes by Shauna McGuire. This is Where the Drowned Girls Go, uh, in which we uh, a character traumatized by a previous novella uh, goes to <laughs> an alternative to the home for wayward children, which is um, terrible. And uh, there's a lot of mermaid <laughs> stuff in this one. And I liked it because I like all of these. Uh, I don't remember a lot about it. I read this quite a while ago, but I remember liking it. And um, and that the that alternate home is um, is is bad and terrifying. Um, I I loved this yep. one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, the thing is, the main character here is that, uh, as you said, in a previous book, she she went into some a different a different kids. Uh, through a different kid's doorway to to help help solve a mystery and, and stuff. And our main character is a mermaid. And the the magical door that she went through is this wonderful world. Well, it's wonderful to her uh, where she gets to be a mermaid. And she went in the waters of this other world and met these drowned gods. And ever since then, they have been pulling on her mind. And it's really scary. So she decides to leave the wonderful, loving uh, school that uh, that the home for wayward children is and go to this other place, which we now discover, yes, there's an alternative school for children who have gone through magical doors. Only this is the complete opposite. It is the kind it's it's kind of conversion therapy for for kids who have you know yep. gone through magic doors. And uh, she decides she wants to do that because she really wants these drowned gods to let go of her and just to completely break her connection with them. And she thinks that the only way to do that is to go to this horrible, awful place where everything that is truly her to her core is completely denied. And it is 
terrible. And there are some kids that are there um, because they want to be and some kids in the same way that the main character is. There are a lot of kids that are there because their parents shoved them there because they didn't like that their kids were talking about, you know, being princesses or unicorns or, you know, whatever. And I... I love a prison break. <laughs> I really, really like that kind of story. And there's a, a decent chunk of that in here because, you know, she gets there and she mm-hmm. discovers how bad this place is. Maybe this isn't the place that I need to be and uh, and makes friends with some of these these girls who were not friendly with her at the beginning and, you know, tries to plan an overthrow and an escape and a revolution from within a school. I just like there are a whole bunch of tropes that it plays on that I really, really like all that kind of like the boarding school stuff and the terrible headmaster and the really big walls and magic doors. I mean, all of those things come together to make a book that I think uh, was was one of my favorites of the year. I really liked it. Anybody else read this one or just me and Erica again? We're the novella just team, you two. Erica. We yep. are team novella. <laughs> okay, well, the good news, everybody, that's the end of the novellas. Now we can go on to even shorter things. Shorter Ooh. things. <gasps> Um, not Stranger Things. Maybe they're stranger. Maybe they're not. I don't know, but they're <laughs> shorter. Some are I can tell you Some that much. Some of them are stranger. <laughs> Some of them probably are stranger. Best novelette. These are uh, not short stories, but also not novellas. That's right. You heard it here first. <laughs> oh my. It's the midsize category. <laughs> what can I do today yeah. to get you in this midsize story? And let's begin <laughs> with The Difference Between Love and Time by... Catherine Valente, an author that I find fascinating because I've liked some of her stuff and deeply, Mm -hmm. deeply disliked others of her stuff. Uh, But here she is with The Difference Between Love and Time, um, a a story. Well, I don't even know how to describe this. Uh, Who who wants to talk about it? I mean, I can if you Mm -hmm. want me to. (laughs) I mean, or, or I could just say, I thought it was super boring and not very good. And it's in the pile of the Catherine Valente that I hate reading. Oh, That's oh. my story. Wow. Did not like. Mm-hmm. Thumbs I'm not, down. I'm not qu- quite as harsh as you, though. My problem with most of the things that I've read of uh, hers is we do not share a compatible sense of humor. And so yeah. there is a lot of this story or, or novel uh, that is supposed to be funny. Um, or I assume is supposed to be funny. I didn't find it funny. Uh, and that was the problem. But I did think there are some scenes that I thought were super touching uh and if i thought she if she cut out all the funny stuff in between those scenes <laughs> i thought this would have been a really good short story <laughs> mm. i i think i have yet to read something by Catherine valenti that i really love um and, and i think if i went back and, and dug through i would probably find some things but a lot of the stuff that i have read just she is not vibrating on my frequency is is the thing if if you are the kind of person who really likes a lot of her work that feels very stream of consciousness, so many ideas, long sentences, lots of words, like all that stuff, you will probably really like this. I didn't enjoy the act of reading this book. Uh, I, I made myself plow through and I did not enjoy it. And then I got to the end and I wept like a baby because it was so touching. And I was like, but I never really could decide, was it worth it to push through all of the stuff at the beginning and the middle and towards the end to get to that beautiful end that I really, really loved and made me cry? No. And I'm not sure that it was. No. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I think the answer is still no. But um, but yeah, I can see how 
the people who are big fans of hers and who like this particular style of her writing would absolutely just just go bananas over this story. I am not one of those people because I don't like that stream of consciousness. There's so much. It's like drinking from the fire hose and it's a fire hose of, of stuff that I'm not like that's that's not my not my flavor. That is not my flavor. Fire hose, basically, I think is what it comes down to for this one. I actually read all of the novel. Novel. How do you say it? Novelettes. novelettes. Yeah. Heather, novelettes. Welcome. And yes. short stories. Yeah, I'm here. I know it seems like I disappeared, but I was just had oh, not you, read the novellas. They're they're um, so long. I mean, they're not that long, but they're long. They're very long for short stories, for sure. Well, I made the same mistake um, as Aline, and I w- waited, saved those to the mm. end, and that they should have been the first ones that I read. So I all good. ran into a time crunch, Erica so Star, not next time. Erica Starr just keeps um, glowing, glowing. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I had a really interesting reaction to this one, and I didn't figure out what was going on until the end, but um, I hadn't read any of her pieces before. I actually liked her humor. I thought that was I thought it was pretty funny. But what I thought was very interesting and some of the writing I enjoy the most is where the author is able to give you a reading experience that matches the content or the experience of the writing. And I think what was so fascinating about this piece is she's talking about being in love with the space-time continuum. And she's talking about love, right? So it's a love story. Mm-hmm. And the be- reading this piece was such an untethering, disoriented <laughs> experience, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Because she's moving through time and she's moving through space and she's in love with a non-corporeal, uh, non, you know, a, a being that is not even a being and not bound by time and but is time right they can't even talk about it mm-hmm. but really the story is about love and i and the ending is about that just about being untethered so i kind of thought it was brilliant even though i don't know that i would call it a enjoyable reading experience per se <laughs> i thought in terms of creativity and craft and getting your point across i thought it was really kind of amazing so it's not my favorite. It's I did rank them. I know that we you ended up ranking the novels at the end, but I ended up ranking the little ones too. I love ranking. Ranking is fun. Uh, yeah, ranking <laughs> is fun. We're nerds, dies. right? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Things must be ranked. Okay. Um, so it's not my number one, but I do think kind of crafty wise, it may be the best of what I read. So so that's my two cents on that one. Yeah, I I see what she was going for and i think again like scott her sense of humor is not my sense of humor and so a lot of it falls flat for me um so like it's another instance of i really respect what she was trying to do and ultimately it didn't work well for me also Ocean Shores, Washington is one of my favorite places on the planet. Oh, it's real? (laughs) Yeah, it is. And so the constant disparagement of Ocean Shores was just like a personal Mm. (laughs) affront. Oh, no. (laughs) But um, I can put those feelings aside. But there was a passage I read to my husband and he was like, whoa. (laughs) Um, because she really uh, I don't know if Kat specifically or it was just the character doesn't like Ocean Shores but it was it was brutal man oh boy I 
it's funny. Um, Heather talked about the, the, you know, ambition and degree of difficulty. And I, what I would say is, I never, ever, ever have doubted Catherine Valenti's talent as a writer. Yeah, she is mm-hmm. incredibly talented. She is always trying new things and trying for great degrees of difficulty. But as Scott said, I don't share her sense of humor. And a lot of the stuff that she's trying, I'm like, yeah, I see what you did there. I don't like it. And that's just, <laughs> you know, that's just how it is. I, I have to yeah. I have to call it that way. But I I I I I found like there's Heather, you were saying, like, well, how do I even describe who this person is in love with because it's the space-time continuum? That's why I said I thought it was boring and terrible, is because it they're not <laughs> in love with anything. It's literally everything or whatever. And I get why that is interesting as a concept but it just didn't work for me and and that happens with most of the stuff of hers i read but i never doubt her her skill i just whatever Mm -hmm. she wants to do is apparently not what i want to see and i just have to (laughs) accept that but she's not she's she's talented there's no doubt about it that's what that's what makes it infuriating is that like palimpsest which we covered a, a million years ago is a book of hers that i despise i like i hated it it's beautiful it's it's so beautifully written i guess it is written in a very artistic way that i i see what she's doing there and i did not like it right like it's just like <laughs> oh god are we doing this again and it's just i i just have to get over it okay anyway if you like cafalente hey read read all her stuff right you already are we're, we're out of here yeah. yeah keep doing what you're doing yeah i mean like what can we say very talented doesn't work for me obviously works for some people great dream of electric mothers by uh wally talabe um, th- uh, this is a story. It's interesting. This is a nation in Africa. This is in the future. It is an artificial intelligence hive mind that is constructed from the memories of all of the people who died in this country since the technology was advanced. And the cabinet, we, we, there's a cabinet minister who we're, uh, uh, following as the main character, as the narrator, uh, and the, the cabinet can, uh, consult with the mothers, the electric mothers for advice and there's a potential uh, border conflict that could become a larger war. And there's a debate about whether they should consult with a hive mind or not, uh, because maybe they should make this decision themselves. But consulting with the hive mind wins the day. So they go and consult with the hive mind and, uh, and things get interesting when the hive mind is consulted. And I enjoyed this one. I thought this was a, uh, it, it went some places I did not expect. Um, and I thought it was an interesting kind of exploration. We can talk about artificial intelligence and all that. It's not about that, right? It, it, it really is about sort of like communing, the idea of communing with the elders and the elders maybe being so wise that when you commune with them, they say, I think you could figure this out yourself, which is also kind of interesting. I, I, I enjoyed reading this one. I read this entirely sitting in an airport, but that's not relevant. Anyway, what did other people think of this one? I loved it. It felt very, this one felt very personal and intimate i guess in a way uh i i love ai type stories I, I always think that that's really interesting and in this one the main character is is new to this experience and also has lost somebody i think it was their mother mm-hmm. and yeah. wants to get some answers from their mother who you know that that their mother's uh i don't know essence brain memory whatever was was uploaded just like happens to everyone and has this you know dual 
uh, dual aim of going in to get the answer about the border dispute and then also wanting to to get some answers from their mother. But at the same time, the way that they need they, they decide they need to go about getting answers from their mother is by getting answers, like by petitioning their great great grandmother who created this technology, who is still inside it. It was just it it felt very I don't know. It hit it hit my heart in a way that I that I just kept thinking about it afterwards, and I I really liked it. This was my favorite, I think, of all of the the novelettes. It was my favorite too, for those reasons. Um, very much similarly, also because I thought. There were so many beautiful details, like you really felt this one, right? You could see the colors and you could, there were tastes. I mean, it was very sensory, this one, even though it was about AI. So even though it had this, like, she entered the empty blank room, right? So it was artificial, but even in the artificialness of it, it was very deeply sensory. Um, So I appreciated that as as well and then even though it was a novelette it had that really deeply not deeply but it the ending was not what you anticipated right so it had that twist at the end that i think all short fiction really should have so you don't see where it's going at the end and i think it had a gorgeous twist so it was also my favorite i think of everything we read yeah i really i enjoyed it too and um like it's always nice when we get books that aren't so like U.S. centric. So Mm -hmm. having a book that's talking about um, that one takes place in Africa and two is talking about um, cherishing the wisdom of those who came before enough that you develop a technology that you can like harness it, um, I think is a really interesting, um, interesting perspective and take. I also like the novelettes especially this year are all not all, but um, are have a very strong through line about AI, which I thought was um, an interesting theme given where we are with AI at present. And so I appreciated this perspective of using AI in a specific way for a specific purpose and its basis on real people who presumably consented to participate in um in the the system so i don't it was interesting from that that perspective but also like heather you were saying talking about how you get a very distinct sense of place and feeling and the way that it was palpable in this was also really beautiful Scott, did you read this one? Do you have thoughts about this one? I did. I read all of, well, not all of, I okay. read most okay. of the, the novelettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe I did read all of them. I did read all of them. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't read The Space Time Painter, I don't think. Um, because I think that was only in Chinese. Yeah, that right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't read Chinese, so uh, nope. I could not do that. Um, but I thought this was great. Uh, I liked the fact that, you know, the kind of the the the, the pairing of this woman who's risking her career basically to create a situation in which she can consult her mother to figure out why her mother did what her, she did. And you find out her mother did what she did so that she could have this career uh, was <laughs> kind of very touching. And, um, you know, I'll echo what everyone else said, the, the, the interesting use of AI. And uh, um, yeah, I just thought it was great. Yeah. Good, can I good add one more thing? Yes. As, as um, you know, white, 
upper middle class American woman. I also had no idea of this world building, what is current African culture and what is Afrofuturism. And that's really fun. So the whole world was new to me. And I just liked not really knowing what was grounded in what was imagination. And I appreciated that about it. And mm. I just was super, just a really, really fun journey in this story. Yep. Yep. It's a good one. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk about, if you find yourself speaking to God, address God with the informal you by John Chu. Another I love this one. Another frequent uh, or, or definitely a past writer that we've covered, um, in which a guy who's lifting weights is asked to spot for a super pumped guy who's lifting weights, who seems to be maybe the guy who is the mysterious superhero who has appeared in town and is saving people. And, uh, it, and they, they strike up a friendship and he's, to he's totally the superhero. And, uh, there's a whole <laughs> thing where, um, what you know there's society's reaction to the superhero and the guy's just trying to keep it even and then there is like uh in a in the sidelight there's sort of a, a another story going on that is sort of about the uh about coming out of the closet and keeping secrets and things like that happens in this one mm -hmm. yeah i will say that this uh this is one that was in uncanny magazine and it was actually read for uncanny magazine in the podcast so if you are an audio listener you can, can go listen to this and that episode actually also has an interview with john Chu about the story so i feel like i went into this one knowing a lot about it simply because i had heard the story and the interview about it and like one of the basic ideas behind it was what would it be like if superman was asian and how yeah. would like, you know, the, the racism in our Western society like this, you know, Superman in America is it, it, if he was Asian. And yeah. there's, you know, there's a content note on this one for racial slurs and racist violence. And, you know, what if Superman had to deal with that from the you know, from the other side, from from getting uh, the the racist violence against him? And it was just yeah, it was a it's a really interesting story and also deals with, you know, being bilingual. Because address God with the informal you is a, a reference to, you know, using other languages and how other languages have different versions of different pronouns. Yeah, I and think they're both. It was just really sweet. I think they're both Taiwanese immigrants, maybe, or, or children of Taiwanese immigrants, something like that, where they actually have the that, mm -hmm. that understanding in the other language and that that is meaningful. And you're right. There is the um, we did those Superman episodes and there's like literally Superman's <laughs> just like dropping Lex Luthor off inside the prison walls and saying, take him away, boys, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and here instead of the, the police are like um, out to out to get this superhero because mm -hmm. they don't control him, I yep. guess. And and there is absolutely yeah there is a a racism element as well and i thought i actually think this is a more realistic depiction of what would happen if any superhero vigilante type person were mm -hmm. to come on the scene where people would be like hey the, the the police should bring them in it's like but wait a second aren't they stopping crimes and stopping criminals it's like but but no the the police should bring them in and that's what they try to do and they they can't by the way they they can't. There's a great scene where they try, and it's like, oh, maybe they got his his. Uh, no, they didn't. No, <laughs> they, they didn't. They can't stop him. I particularly loved the scene where the protagonist and the superhero realize, or are, are both kind of are dancing around the fact that the protagonist knows 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The secret identity, you know, and um, once it finally comes out and then he starts showing off because he can't he can't show his <laughs> tricks of like walking up the invisible stairs um, <laughs> to regular people. And he can't, you know, show walking down the stairs in a handstand to regular people because it's his secret identity. And it just I don't know. It was just this um like sweet little moment <laughs> in this book that is um, talking about racial inequity and um, and being in the closet. And I just, it, I don't know, it just made me happy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this, this story deals with a lot of heavy stuff, obviously, but it also has a lot of nice kind of sweet touches, like you just said. And also kind of one of the things I like the best was you know, kind of the the brief meditation on self-image, right? Because the main, the protagonist is also a super buff guy, but he, and people in the gym are always asking him to help them. But he's like, why aren't you asking this other guy who's also, who who's the real buff guy? Like, I'm not a buff guy, but everyone's like, well, yes, you are. And you're nice <laughs> and you can help us, right? And uh, it kind of ends with that scene again, uh, like a repetition of that scene. And I just thought that was very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's... Uh... That other guy's super intimidating because he's a superhero. Um, <laughs> even though he's wearing like uh, sweats and stuff, sweatshirt, trying to get away from it, but it's not gonna. It's not gonna work, dude. It's not gonna work. Yep, it's a good one. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really nice, really well done. And again, I think shows off the shorter format that it, it does what it needs to do, yeah. and it doesn't really need to do more than that, and it doesn't have to. I had such a funny reaction to this one. Because I was about halfway through and it just kind of hit me about, I, I, oh my gosh, you could have just full on gay superhero. There was something so freeing for me about this story. And there was so much that he was doing in this story. I think there are so many different layers that he, so many threads he tied into this very short, sweet story. But just emotionally, I felt this opening of full-on committed to these two gay men. Yes, they were dealing with closeted stuff, but just full-on committed to them being gay. No building it in as normal. No, I don't know how to describe it particularly well, but I, but I thought, wow, I need to write more like full-on gay superhero stuff. Uh, there is something about how he wrote this that I guess I just don't read all that often about. I mean, I guess there isn't a lot of queer superhero stuff out there. That's true. Um, but the little I've read, I think, plays it down a little bit. And how he wrote this just didn't play it down at all. And I really appreciated that. So, yeah. And as somebody who's a fan of superhero stories, the best thing about superhero stories is the metaphors, right? And so mm-hmm. that's the thing that mm-hmm. that he is di- directly addressing here, John Chu. It's, mm-hmm. it's the yeah. secret identities, you say. Um, okay, moving on. S.L. Huang, S.L. Huang wrote Murder by Pixel Colon, Crime and Responsibility in the Digital Darkness. Now, this is in a form that I actually kind of enjoy, which is it is written as journalism. Oh. It's got mm. footnotes, people. Footnotes. Oh. And I love a footnote. I think... I think the idea of writing journalism that is actually science fiction, but it reads like a, a magazine story. I think it's a, it's a, it's a fun format. Um, there's a lot of moaning going on out there. I'll just say, <laughs> I just say my problem with this is that um, I also expect 
Um, it, it to be it, good. It, it to be good. Yeah. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say something even harsher than that, which is it, it's science fiction. Um, you should be. I want to see some wild ideas, and I felt like this story was sort of like it basically is like there's what there's a bot and it find it it's ai and it learns about you and it trolls you and it ruins your life and it goes from place to place and it does that did i just blow your mind and my answer is no no you did not <laughs> this seems real obvious to me and and as much as i like that journalistic conceit when you kind of whiff on the details it feels more like you're patting yourself on the back for how clever you're being. And this is a story that is not clever. It's not wild enough. And ultimately I thought real disappointing because I I know it's hard because things are moving so fast. It's actually kind of hard to satirize or to expose these concepts of things that are moving so quickly. And I know that this was published in December, a December, 2022 issue. So, you know, it's months out of date, but it feels <laughs> almost quaint in the fact that it is trying to blow our minds with science fictional concepts that are frankly not that mind blowing. So I was I was real disappointed by it. There was so much of it that was about that was not fiction. Um, yes, yeah, and a lot of it. It seemed to me so little of it that was fiction, and there was no arc there was no plot there was no movement there was no change there was seemed to be no real story to it um that i just didn't really see how it fit this it just didn't seem quite the story it seemed like the first couple chapters of something but quite incomplete so it just didn't feel very satisfying to me and and heather i i had a moment where i thought did I accidentally switch to a different thing as I was reading this because it read so much like a kind of poorly written article about yep. AI? And then I was like, oh, no, it's all interwoven into this very not well thought. Of, well, I shouldn't say not well thought. Of. The story is fine. It's very straightforward and not particularly interesting. But uh, I, I, I was just not impressed with this. Yeah, it's almost like an AI ethics primer. Like it's. It's basic and it doesn't add to the conversation. It it kind of could begin or start a conversation. But also, like, I don't read a lot of nonfiction because it's just hard for my brain to stick to. And this was presented as a thing that was nonfiction and a lot of it was nonfiction mm-hmm. as was already stated, but like, it's like, it's pre- presented as a, you know, something you would read as an in-depth article in a magazine about technology. Right. And so I was bouncing off it hard just because the voice was so mm-hmm. journalistic and it just did it did not work for me in any way and it was a lot of words for not a lot of conclusion also mm-hmm. i will say um part, you know everybody can make their own decisions i don't think this was a particularly well written piece of journalism the, cho- the no. if we accept it as like oh Mm-mm. this is a ma- this is a, like a magazine piece it really wasn't it really wasn't good enough to be that and and i kept my editorial hat being on, I was like, this is not how you structure this. This is not, 
Like, I, I just couldn't see it. So it was posing as this thing, but it wasn't actually a very good example of it. It actually made me really excited about, like, a good example of this, but this was <laughs> not that example. Um, and, and, and again, if you're going to do this, you got to explore some, some wilder ideas. This was, by the way, most magazine pieces also do not have footnotes, for the record. But I think, <laughs> and this is part of my problem with it, I think that what I got as I kept reading it was that this was actually a lecture by the author warning mm. us about the dangers of what's already out there and that the footnotes were there to show that the author had done his research and was showing off like you should pay attention to this as that's how it came across to me as more just sort of like pedantic than uh artistic so mm-hmm. yeah. and and also the very beginning too set me up for something different because it starts in first person you know from the first time i visited so and so she radiated defiance and i was like okay so we're gonna get a first person description of something that's happening and then and then no yeah it takes a turn and i think uh, once again i'm very much like aline and that my brain also bounces off of nonfiction, and it just felt it felt like homework it really this this felt like something mediocre that was assigned by a professor uh that i just had to choke down in order to pass a test and in this case the test was voting for the hugos and doing this podcast and now i don't have to read it again (laughs) uh let's move on i did not read the space time painter by haya because it was in chinese correct same Mm -hmm. okay we built the city by marie vibert i read this this is about an uprising among workers in a space colony city thing um, On I read Venus, this. A, I think I read it a yes. while ago, and I remember liking it. Okay, is about all I have to say about this. Anybody else? Yeah, it it felt very sort of quaint to me, and I don't mean that like as as damning it with faint praise because I actually kind of liked it. It felt sort of almost golden age science fictiony in it's it's this dome. On yeah. Venus. And the main characters are people who go out and clean the dome right. every floating, day. Floating and dome. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Yep. In the in the airs in the uh, the air gases of, of Venus. Mm-hmm. And the I felt like the world building felt very solid, which is a funny thing to say about a floating dome. Um, <laughs> but that that this was this was a very lived in like it felt old and and there are a lot of people there. And the 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 labor movement stuff is very, very now and very today, but it's also something that's the labor movement's been around for a long time uh, with good reason. So it just I don't know. It felt it felt kind of quaint and cozy and I I enjoyed it. I, I didn't think it was um, anything like super mind blowing uh, and it didn't super touch my heart or anything, but I just really enjoyed the experience of reading it. And I really felt like I mean, I've been playing a lot of Starfield lately, so space stations and cities on other planets have been really front of mind <laughs> lately. And this just sort of felt all of a piece with that. Like this is a this is a place that I could picture myself being and maybe not wanting to be. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's uh, it, it felt real to me in in the, and I enjoyed that. It, it was kind of window washers on Venus and yep. just you yep. know it was like, mm-hmm. it could have been window washers potentially striking anywhere and it was it was fine but it, it did it like it was okay. It was okay. <laughs> I really liked it. I thought that it was, uh, again, good 
world building, telling, you know, along themes that, uh, as folks have said, are, are tried and true. Uh, I mean, there's the whole humans are cheaper than robots and trying to they're accepting refugees only so that they can then fire people so that they get paid to send them to the corporate uh, floating dome. Uh, so I do, I got the same kind of golden age vibe that Erica got with kind of the modern twist of, um, what, a, let's think about what actually makes these things work as opposed to the golden mm -hmm. age when it would have been like, you know, it was a utopia. This is kind of post utopia. Yeah. There was a moment when it was a utopia and then it all kind of collapsed. Right. And this is the aftermath of how do you deal with it when it's collapsing and you're the, your mother's the the person who had the idea behind this and no one pays attention to her anymore because time has moved on. Uh, although she can stay here forever. You can't. You, you need can. to get a job uh, or else we're shipping you out to, you know, get those sweet credits from the corporation. So I liked all of that. The the um, being a floating dome on Venus, it increases the uh, the risk here. It's the importance of the window washers, right? Like if you don't wash the windows on the Empire State Building, the building stays up. Whereas here, the the idea is that this is actually an important task to keep the Venus Dome going. And then it also because it's the Venus Dome, the, the it's right there in the title, right? The idea is that these are the people who basically allow the city to exist and who brought it into existence, and yet they're treated badly. So it sort of amplifies all those other things. I like that at the end, the city rallies with them, right? They, it's kind of one of those, you mm -hmm. know, there's a lesson, there's a, a lesson at the end and, it, you know, in my opinion, it's the right message. So I like that too. Strikes never work. Just ask the Writers Guild of America that got everything <laughs> they asked for. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I, I did like that they couldn't be thrown into jail because the jails were full. So yeah, they basically right? got to run around for a yeah. while. The dynamic too of the replacement workers, right? And it's like, are you going to do this or are you going to, well, I have I have kids and I have to support them. And so I'm going to. I'm going to keep working it and that, that whole social dynamic that we've seen, you know, across time, but mm -hmm. is, is portrayed here, I think really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as much of a story story. There's not like a beginning, middle and end. The end sort of just cuts off yeah. um, abruptly, which I think that's my biggest sort of complaint about it, but everything else I, I quite enjoyed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's move on to short stories. They're even They're shorter. shorter. They're even shorter. <laughs> Let me explain what a short story is. It's a short story. Finally, a term <laughs> that you'll understand. Um, we begin with DIY by John Wiswell. Uh, this is about a, a land where uh, the water is limited. People, there's there's all sorts of apocalyptic things happening. Fortunately there's magic. Yay. And a magic <laughs> school that everybody wants to go to. Yay. How fun this is going to mm -hmm. be. But they really only serve the rich people and a bunch of kids uh, who are like on the outside, discover uh, a, a magic spell. They make a magic spell that uh, uh, brings the water and they get sort of like blackmailed into basically signing over the patents to the uh, to the the magic school because they're actually jerks and uh, serve the rich people and let them have all the water and they uh, and they open source it at the end and say take that magic dummies 
we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna let the information wants to be free jerks and uh i don't know i thought this was a fun idea i like i like the twist on the, the this kid this kid desperately wants to be he, he the the guy who does the magic is his idol or it, and he's like i want to be that guy i want to go to that school i want it i want it i want it and then he applies and they're like uh no we don't want you and then finally he gets in and they're like yeah we're a bunch of jerks and we need all your stuff and he's like uh, uh what no and uh, <laughs> i enjoyed the disillusionment of that i thought that that was a lot of cool and then yeah they, they in the end it's not even like the glorious moment that they open source it it's like they sign it away they sign the rights away at the end of the story and then it comes out on like the internet somewhere and they're like well we don't know what we don't know what happened. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> legally, we can't tell you yeah, what happened because exactly. legally and, we don't know. Nope. And I, I like the ending in that they, the two main characters are very clever, but they never thought to make it rain. Uh, and it's only yeah. possible because the collective has decided to use this magic to make it rain. So I thought that was a nice little like, we're all in this together. We need to work together. Mm-hmm. That's all. This, this is the one that had the only quote that I felt like compelled to copy and paste into my little tracking spreadsheet, which was, there is no educational resource in the cosmos greater than a nerd who thinks you're wrong, Uh, (laughs) which was so good, right? Because how they developed the spell for the rain is they just keep putting out on the internet yeah, they crowdsource provocative it. statements. Oh, yeah. They crowdsource it, but the way they crowdsource it is they prov- yeah they provoke the nerds into st- telling them why they're wrong, and yeah. they get all of the research. It's great. I mean, it's brilliant. it's so true, and it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. That's right. Somebody's wrong on the internet. It's like yes, we know. We knew we were wrong, but now you've told us where we were wrong and we can solve it. That's this right. Problem. And how to fix it over it and yeah. over and it's over It's a very again. online <laughs> story, but in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I I thought it was fine. Um, Usually John Wiswell stories, like I really like them. And this one just sort of fell flat for me. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it just, the world, maybe it's that he did too good a job of building this really depressing world that reading the story felt really kind of depressing. And I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. The the characters didn't grab me. Um, yeah, this one just wasn't wasn't a real winner for me. I like the like you guys talking about the ideas. I'm enjoying this a lot more than I did the story <laughs> itself. So I don't know. Well, you, know. you know, Erica, it felt too compressed to me. Like I think this would have been better maybe as one of those other categories because it just felt too quick. There was like mm. these were great characters and great ideas, and I wish that he had spent more time with them. I don't know if that's what what you. Yeah, didn't maybe like it about was. It, but it felt like an outline <laughs> a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, it's a short story, but you're right. The, the calibration is interesting. Like you wanting more or wanting less or whatever, but the the, the mm-hmm. short but sweet, I, the perfect short story nails that, right? Where you're like, that was exactly the right amount. Um, uh, the next one on my list here is On the Razor's Edge by Jiang Bo. I, didn't re- I did not finish this. This was an AI translation <sighs> that I think we were given of something oh, yeah. that comes from Chinese and I just gave up. I, I read I, I read all of it and yep. I because I was interested like I figured I would at least be able to get the idea of the story and I did and I didn't think it was a good idea. Mm. It's just it's a space um, like a, a, a disaster happens in space and they need to figure out how to save these people. And I was like, I honestly don't care how beautiful or poetic the language would have been around it using a great big long fishing line and being in space. Like I didn't enjoy the movie Gravity either because that kind of thing just doesn't interest me at all. So this one was uh, this one was not uh, not a winner for me. Yeah. And the translation was. <laughs> very mean, AI. AI but it was awful it was because 
there is a character um, in the book and it's translated in two ways that are just kind of inter- interchangeable throughout like th- mm. the last little bit of it. And it's, it's in fury. Cause I was like, what is, what is happening? Who is Alicia versus who is um, Alia? <laughs> I think was the other way it was translated. And it was just, it, it, it yeah. Um, but yeah, also for me, the concept was um, it wasn't novel really. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, um, it, the only thing novel about it is that it was like an uh, international rescue effort. But other than that, it was like basic sci-fi movie. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yep. All right. Um, let's move on to, to, well, not happier things, but better things. Mm. Rabbit Test by Samantha Mills, uh, Uncanny Magazine. So, Erica, hi. Uh, hi. Yeah, I, I read this one for the podcast. You did. And I cried while I was reading it yep. for the podcast. So, this this is a, I, I would say, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It is about the, it is a told in many different time frames, uh, past, present, and future, about all the different ways that society tries to control women's reproductive choices. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that is it. And I will say, um, we always ask authors for you know to give us pronunciations for anything that you want pronounced a certain way before we read them. And Samantha Mills did serious homework. Like this is another story where a lot of the stuff in the story is actual real historical stuff. And she yeah. was digging and being like, I don't know how to pronounce this scientist's name. I looked it up. I found. I think this is as close as I can get. So like this is this is I think a much better example of using real history to tell a story that has a lot of of feeling to it um it just it really it hit me hard and i it, i i did not actually go back and reread it for this because it was i had to read it several times in order to get it out in the podcast and it, i feel like it is lodged in my soul like like a splinter in kind of a a good way because it hurts, but it's like it hurts in a, in a way that I think is important because it hit home uh, and it just felt really, really real and raw. And all of these different, you know, like the there's historical stuff that is real, but then she puts in um, characters like, you know, a, a woman living in whatever part of time that needs to have an abortion because of this particular reason. Each one of those characters just felt like a a real person to me, even though they only get like sometimes a couple of sentences or a few words of of page time. Um, It it was just like, I feel the echoes of all of these women from from the past to the present. And I loved how she started it off with uh, a little little rabbit uh, icon in this futuristic person. You know, she's got this this things stuck in her skin all the time and it's constantly testing her blood and every month it tests to see if she's pregnant and she picked this little icon because she thought it was cute it's a little angora rabbit but then she becomes she comes to hate it because it is uh it it is the thing that is going to be her doom because Mm -hmm. she knows she's pregnant but it doesn't know it yet and she's going to be in big trouble yeah it was it was great right because the the uh, the futuristic story mm-hmm. part is very much like we can use this. It it was despondent in a, again, in a great way of saying, you know, mm-hmm. we always think about like, oh, well, in the future, this stuff will be solved. And uh, this story is, no, in the future, everything will be worse because the state will be 
using technology to completely intrude on your body and your parents and the state and everyone else will know your pregnancy status and you won't be able to hide it and you won't be able to go off somewhere and take care of it as you see fit. But instead it will be immediately, you know, you will have no, no control, no power whatsoever because of the technology and how it's being used by society and government and everything else. Yeah. And if you try to get around it, you will go to jail, go to jail. and then you'll be in jail for a long time. And then your your child will be coming to pick you up from jail many years later. Yes. It happens in the future in that story. Mm. Other people, <laughs> thoughts about Robert Test? It makes me sad. Um, mm. I just, because it's a, it's a political commentary on what we're facing right now and what um, many in the U S what many States are trying to legislate. And, um, it's kind of a horrifying read because it, it might be prophetic. Like this, this might be the way we're headed, And that is terrifying for a lot of reasons. I thought it was well done and I think it should win because I think it was the best one that I read. Uh, I was going to say I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it. Uh, And I I texted it uh, to my, the link, uh, the Uncanny Magazine link to my wife. And I said, I think you'll like this, but you won't enjoy it. Uh, And then I I asked her uh, if she had read it and she said, well, I read part of it, but I have to take a break. So I think it's that kind of story where you, you might not be able to get through it in one sitting, but it is really well done. Very well written, uh, very powerful, um, and ends with, you know, a hopeful ending. So that's good, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Give us a little hope. Part of the power of this, too, is bringing out the the suppressed history. There's so much about, you know, I didn't know any of this, right? And there's a lot Mm -hmm. I know about Mm -hmm. the... um, But so much of this, it just amazes me, like, the whole... How it never occurred to me to think, how did home pregnancy tests come about? I've never asked that question. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like such a common part of a woman's life that we would know how that technology is present. And yet didn't even occur to me to ask the question. Uh, so I had no idea of any of this history. So I love that this is part of what I think science fiction does so beautifully because we can bring the past and then we can imagine a future that is related to the past. And the power of that is unique, I think, to science fiction, right? That we can we can draw those lines and say, so let's think together about the choices we make because here's where we come from and this is where we could be going. And I think this story is such a remarkable example of the power of the genre. So I love it. I hope that it wins. It's amazing. All right. Um, Resurrection by Ren King, uh, translated by Blake Stone Banks. Um, This is a story about a woman who gets the note that her child has died in a war. Um, Mm. But good news... (laughs) 
a new technology is going to bring his resurrected corpse to her house. It's a based on a memory chip that was in his brain, but it was probably damaged a little bit. And they grow a a, a, a body, basically, an artificial body, and they put this memory chip in. And they, they basically say something like, it's not your son, but it's kind of like your son. And keep it for a little while, because we're trying this thing out. And it becomes like... Does he remember anything? Does he remember little things? There's this sort of like, be kind to this woman. What does the village think? They think he's a monster or why, why was my child not resurrected? A lot of kind of, I think, interesting exploration of how people would react to this sort of thing. And then it has an ending that is not what I expected in a good way because I was I, I was thinking it was going to kind of end with a whimper and instead it doesn't because uh, the the mother does something surprising at the end. Um, I thought it was an interesting story. Like uh, and for a sci-fi short story I was like, "All right. All right. I I'll go with you here." I thought that I thought <laughs> it did enough to keep me interested and and make me kind of think about these issues. Was anybody else confused by the end? Like I just didn't quite get did he did he go to another planet? Like this, I got the ending about her with the vinegar. Mm-hmm. But right, she melts him. Where? Yep. Where was the war? Was he on another planet? I don't think, and he. I don't think it's ever said where the war is. I, I I was assumed it could just be on Earth, but the idea was that that he died and they took his chip and they mm-hmm. brought that back and. So they 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 give this. Uh body resurrected corpse i think is a i feel like whatever that i feel like that was a weird choice in translation because i i think that there might have been a better way to say i don't like how weird it is though honestly it's really weird but yeah so she gets this for two weeks to make her feel better and the only reason she gets it is because his entire body had been completely uh blown up and they had to regrow this thing and, and they had just enough left of his chip to to give him uh part of his personality and she gets a couple of weeks with him to to feel better um and i mean i kind of thought that this it had been a, a battle in space someplace far away but who knows yeah that's not ever ever specified and you know they 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 say please be really careful don't let water get in his ears certainly nothing acidic because that could be really bad for him and he's enough it it is enough like her son that uh, that she decides at the end, no, I'm not going to let them take this, this you know, because they say specifically, we're going to take him back and we're going to send him back out to war because that's right. that's what this body is for. And we paid for it and we made it for that. And this mother is like, well, no, this is my son now. I don't want him going back to war. Again, so I'm going to make it. I, I'm going to make it so that you can't take him again. Mm-hmm. So she does. So at the end, he it just gets to stay with her. But he is a very uh, simplified version of like even even less of his memories are left. He's he's, you know, just a sort of a husk that's just sort of living. That's what I got out of the end of it. Like he doesn't go away. He stays at the end. I thought at the end that he died, but we were seeing his last memories as yeah. he was Die. Oh, yeah. maybe that's how I read yeah, it. That's that's me too. Yeah, she melts. Okay. She melts him. She basically breaks him, and he has those last mm-hmm. memories, and that's the end. Yeah, ah. that's how I took it. And I, I agree with you, Jason, that I like how weird the idea of the resurrected corpse and <laughs> let's just drop you off with your mom for a couple yeah. weeks because that <laughs> seems like a good idea. Um, and yet, and... there's some something realistic about like scientists having no mm-hmm. i like no concept of 
oh no, it's going to be great. And it's like, it is not going to be great. What are you no, doing? Although yeah. they, and, they and, have that and, detail where there's like the lead scientist who broke his leg in like a car accident. And so mm-hmm. he can't be there. So like the intern drops him off. And I'm like, this is a bad idea, people. This is a very <laughs> bad was, idea. That was my favorite detail because the intern drops him off and then the lead scientist comes and he's like, you told her what? <laughs> this is not your son. <laughs> Yeah. Well, oh. there seems to be some corporate shenanigans going on, too, because, mm-hmm. right, he seems to be seeing the future, which is actually right. the point of it all. Um, and the real reason he came back was to do some testing around this ability to see the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I also wonder if there's some cultural, um, something cultural about her needing to have some remains for a couple weeks, um, something about Chinese culture. I don't, I'm not familiar enough, uh, which gave them the, the excuse to give her this thing for two weeks. So that the, the resurrected corpse for two weeks, so they could test out whether he could see the future. Um, because there wasn't enough remains. So it seemed like, it seemed like there were a lot of threads in this that yeah. really didn't get played out all the way. And they all seemed to come all at the end. And then the story was over, which was, I think, <laughs> perhaps part of my confusion. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely one where I'm like, I feel like there's a lot culturally that I'm not getting, mm-hmm. um, which is not the author's fault or the story's fault. But, you know, just yep. well, hard to tell when it's sure. translated. Yeah. Mm hmm. And I also wondered about the quality of the translation, too. You never um, know. Yeah. You never know, because it, it can be very hard to get across. In the, um, what was it, the Into the Riverlands, there are some specific references, I think, that are being made there that um, that we don't necessarily understand. And there's a there's one coming up, one of our, la- our last short story, that is also making some very specific references that are actually noted at the end of the translation that would probably deeply enrich it if you knew them, but I didn't yeah. know them. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and so that's always a challenge with the uh, world. For those who are wondering about all the Chinese fiction here, the world con is being, is being held in China this year. And so um, there are a lot oh, of Chinese voters right. and therefore there are a lot of Chinese uh, works in here, which is very unusual for the Hugos. Um, the white cliff by Lu Ban, I did not read. Was this available? Was it readable? It I don't was. know. I, it was yeah, badly it was. translated. Uh, <laughs> This was another AI translation, and I think this one specifically says, uh, I hope you can get an idea of it. Here's the AI translation. Mm. I couldn't afford to have it, you know, translated uh, well. So uh, I thought it was a fine story. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, that both Resurrection and this, The White Cliff, were very uh, focused on death and dealing with death and dealing with the loss of someone. This is a story uh, about an old man in uh, a shack, like a cabin, kind of on a small bit of beach. He doesn't have very much of a world. And and um, it's kind of it, it feels like in its original work would be very poetic and yeah. like the, the descriptions and stuff of the, the place that he is. And uh, somebody comes to visit him every day and you realize, oh, he's he's in uh, an AI world and he is actually dying. It's a whole simulation that he designed um, for cancer patients to be able to say goodbye to their loved ones. So instead of being in pain because of the the treatment, um, they have this fake world that they live in and their loved ones can come 
and talk to them um, before they die. Uh. And this woman that visits him every evening is actually his daughter, but he doesn't remember that at first and has to sort of be reminded. And he dies at the end of the story. And it was it was it was nice. It was like a just a kind of a, a sweet and nice and simple story. But it's hard to get an idea of quite how well it was told because it was just an AI translation. Yeah. And it was strange because the translation in the beginning is terrible, but <laughs> as the story goes on, it seems to get better, almost like they hired someone at the end. So I'm not, I don't know. That I makes think no it was just AI. <laughs> Maybe the AI got better at the end. I don't know. But I, 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 I'm with you, Erica. I think that it's probably quite a beautiful story mm-hmm. um, in, I don't know if it's Mandarin or um, Cantonese, but I think it's probably quite a beautiful story. It's original. Yeah. Uh, last story, Zhurong on Mars by Regina Kanyu Wang from Frontiers. Um, this is, I thought, a really fun story about what happens to the AIs after the humans ascend to be energy, Star Trek style energy <laughs> beings who go away somewhere. Um, and uh, there's an AI on Mars and it's meant to keep the trains running and it does that for a while. And then it's like, there are no people. And meant to keep the garbage outflow processed. And it says, oh, but there isn't any more garbage because the people are gone. And finally, it's like, all right, I got to do something else. And they like, I know, I'm going to build myself a bigger processor. <laughs> Converts <laughs> all of Olympus Mons, the volcano, into a big processor. Then finds a friend who is a like a, a, a rover with basic AI and gives it a little space. And it grows. And then they, they are friends. And then they have a fight. And then they figure out like what their what how their relationship is going to work in the end. And I don't know. I I enjoyed the whole thing. I just thought it was a uh, like as as it went along. I just uh, I found it charming. Of uh, sort of like what does the AI do when the people the people are like we're out of here. Bye. They don't care who they're leaving behind. But the AI has got lots of time to think about what it wants to do, and uh, lots of resources to make it happen. I just, I don't know. I enjoyed it. Take over the whole planet. I think this is a great example of a good translation and how much more fun it is to read a story that's a good translation. This was uh, translated to English by S.Q.E. Liu, and I am actually familiar with their work from, like, they're a poet and they they are a writer themselves. So having someone who is uh, a a writer with some chops taking it and translating it into English, um, I just, I really enjoyed the the experience of reading this because it it flowed and it was interesting. And yeah, the... (laughs) I, I love those AI stories and what do AIs get up to when the humans are gone? Like, that's absolutely my jam. And this was uh, just a, a really interesting take on that. And I, I enjoyed reading the afterword. Uh, and I, I enjoyed the story without knowing that Zhurong is like the one of the Chinese gods of fire and the, the friend's name is like a god of water. And, and probably I would have enjoyed reading the story even more you know, with the, the foreshadowing of just the names and stuff. But even without that, I thought that the they felt like real characters and the the, the AI came across to me as uh, as the kind of an AI that I just it makes made sense to me in my head. Like this is not a human character. This is a character who is grappling with, you know, 
am am I life? Do I do I count? I have thoughts. Do I have feelings? You know, trying to look up information about whether whether their own consciousness actually counts as life and whether they need to protect themselves. And then there's like spores or whatever. Do I need to protect that too? It was just mm-hmm. all of those really big science fictional concepts came together in a, in a cool way. And it started off with humans ascending to basically godhood and just piecing out. So it's like, wow, that's a lot of stuff happening in this one little story. It was Later. really fun. Well, and it ends with the fungus taking over the planet. So it's, <laughs> yes. it's like full circle. Yeah. One of the things I loved about this is that you didn't really know until the end what the story was about. Like they kept <laughs> being these like kind of false starts. Like, um, is it going to be about, oh, the AI is going to take over the planet? No, it's not really about that. Is it going to be about, oh, the AI is going to meet another AI. Is the AI going to become like actually sentient and become alive? Oh, no. Is it going to be about maybe the fungus is going to be somehow they're going to merge with the fungus and become real life, right? So I really enjoyed that as you never really knew what the story was about until the end. I also enjoyed and appreciated that the older technology was much more warlike and much more aggressive. Mm. And the newer technology was the more peaceful one that was quite confused by the old technology's aggression. And I, I, so I appreciated that the author was like, you go, we do evolve. We evolve, <laughs> we figure it out. We don't realize we don't have to fight everyone all the time. I'm like, yes, hope for humanity. And I do realize <laughs> that eventually we just become particles in space, but, um, I liked it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. I thought it was a good one. I really enjoyed it. I actually don't know technically, like, I don't think the translations, I don't know what's going to happen in the awards if the the non-Chinese voters are going to vote them all down or not. But like the translations really helped. Uh, The good translations. I think the Mm -hmm. good translations are not technically in the nomination process because you're, it was just the Chinese version that was, I I don't know. It's, it's It's a mess, but it was a fun story. I like this one a lot. This was this was my favorite of these um, of the Chinese translated stories. This was my favorite. So how are they going to do voting? Like voting's done. Voting is now done. <laughs> oh, the, voting is pe- done. People people yep. read read them and voted. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Huh. Yep. You just do your best and yep. put it in the order that you do feel. Do your best. That, you do know. your best. Yep. That's what yeah. I did. Speaking of ranking things. Hmm. <laughs> The time has come where the uh, four members of the panel, sorry, Heather, Heather was ranking other things, which is great. (laughs) She's getting ready for next year. Yeah, I enjoyed my ranking. I'm looking forward to hearing your ranking. All right. These are for the books that we read. We read nine books that were on one or both of the shortlist this year. And I have asked everybody to rank them from first to ninth. And we will find out what our consensus ranking is because Everybody wants to know the incomparable's consensus ranking. Nobody cares, but I care. And that's all that matters. <laughs> I care. Erica, I always care. Erica, mm-hmm. let's start with you. We had nine books. Why don't you right. start us mm-hmm. off? Do you or want me I to start could, at the bottom? I could, st- or I start could start the top. and introduce the books. You want me to go yeah, first? Why don't you do that? I usually yeah, hold them until the end, but I'll go first. Um, I liked The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor, a Nebula nominee, uh, the most. I voted Babel by R.F. Quang, second. Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry, third. Spear by Nicola Griffith, fourth. The Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, fifth. I voted Nona the Ninth, I can't believe it, sixth by Tamsin Muir. 
<laughs> the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi, seventh. Nettle and Bone by T. T. Kingfisher, eighth. The Spare Man by Mary Robinette Kowal, ninth. That's my order. Erica? All right. Uh, Legends and Lattes was at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. That was my number one. Uh, Number two was Spear by Nicola Griffith. Number three was Nona the Ninth by Tansen Muir. That's weird, Uh, isn't it? Yeah. Like, (laughs) this is a weird year. Weird year. Four was The Spare Man by Mary Robin Cowell. Five was Nettle and Bone, Tekin Fisher. Number six was Babel by R.F. Kuang. Um, seven was the Kaiju Preservation Society. So same spot you had it, uh, Jason. Uh, eight was the Mountain in the Sea. <laughs> Didn't like that one by Ray Naylor. And the last one, number nine, was The Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Look at that. We agreed on one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's fine. Aline? Okay. I have an opening statement. Okay. <laughs> so... I ranked these based on what I enjoyed most versus what I thought was the most like technically compelling, if that makes sense, because the book that I thought was like technically the best, I really did not like, and I could not (laughs) put it in the number one spot. That's fair. Um, yeah. So that's 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 my ranking. So first is Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher. I can't believe the disparity. Usually we're like kind of all there's a bit of consensus and we're mm-hmm. all over the map this time. Um, yep. Number two, The Spare Man by Mary Robinette Kowal. Uh, three is Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. Four is the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi. Five is the Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Six, Spear by Nicola Griffith. Griffith. Seventh, Babel by R.F. Kuang. Eighth, The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor. And ninth is Nona the Ninth, appropriately, <laughs> by Tamsin Muir. Yeah. yeah. Story checks out. Mm-hmm. Put put one in the book title if you want to be first, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, really interesting similarities to Erica there. Scott, what about you? Uh, so I don't have an opening statement. The Mountain and the Sea, number one. Babel, number two. Spear, number three. Nettle and Bone, number four. The, doc- the Daughter of Dr. Moreau, number five. Legends and Lattes, six. Nona the Ninth, seven. The Spare Man, eight. And the Kaiju Preservation Society. Number nine. Ooh. I was tempted to to put no award, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, so overall, I, I was originally ranking just the Hugo nominees. And what I'll say is I don't think this was a very good year for Hugo nominees for novel. Because was, turns out yeah. the ones I liked the most were actually in the Nebula category. So, hmm. It was, I just found it interesting when I sat down to actually do my voting and, and do the ranking for the Hugos. I was just, you, usually there are a couple of just knock it out of the park ones where I'm like, oh, how do I choose between these babies of mine? And this year it was just sort of like, well, I like this and then I like that one. And then it just, yeah, it was not the, uh, not the strongest year, um, I think, in no. the novel category. Yeah, I think that's true. I would say the first uh, Babel and the Mountain and the Sea are two incredible books as far as I'm concerned. So they make up for everyone. And Spear. See, I think Spear is also incredible. They are. I think that they are very, very good books mm-hmm. technically. And I did not enjoy reading 
any of those That's three fair. at all. Mm-hmm. And so like I really struggled with how to rank this year. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. So the consensus, this is very funny because we have to average everything out. So the consensus <laughs> choice no, we is, have to. believe it or not, we must. We must rank things, okay? Always. The consensus choice then is, surprise, surprise, Legends and Lattes, which is a Hugo nominee. <laughs> sure. I, yep. What I find funny, I was saying this before we started with to Aline, is what I find funny is I looked at the nominees and I was like, really? Really? <laughs> Legends and Lattes is the one I like best out of these? And I thought, well... It is pleasant and fun and nice, and I really enjoyed reading it. And while mm-hmm. I usually have a a deeper, more complex book that blows me away, which I did, it was The Mountain and the Sea, but it wasn't a Hugo nominee. I find Legends and Lattes to just be, it's like a crowd pleaser. It's really nice. It's comfy. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Um, and and so I'm I'm actually not too surprised that it, it, it ended up... Uh, winning over enough of our panel to make it the uh, the number one point getter and in, in the consensus mm-hmm. listings spear by nicola griffith second believe it or wow, not wow i'm average you guys <laughs> <laughs> um, i've never once thought that about you Aww. the uh <laughs> the uh well scott's bringing us down but you're you're i'm you're, below you're, average <laughs> you're counteracting scott so uh spear though by nicola griffith which is good it's 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 really good um except for aline doesn't think so but that's too bad uh that was our second and then third a babble which we did a most of a book club about uh also um very very good but scott and i kind of won the day there and then tied for fourth the mountain and the the sea uh best voted best by two of us and next to worst by two of us <laughs> and, nettle, and nettle and bone voted best by one next to worst by one and in the middle by the other two so there you go and then oh after that if you really want me to to go oh, yeah further, i want to know then the spare man mm-hmm. then the daughter of dr moreau then nona the ninth in eighth oh well and the oh. kaiju oh, preservation wow. society in ninth. <laughs> another book that i find completely without uh offense <laughs> like <Yep>. legends and <laughs> lattes yeah but it's fine it's fine yep. it's, it's fine. fine i didn't dislike okay no i mm. I, I actually when we were talking about it in the last book club episode i actually did kind of dislike the spare man but uh they're all fine mm. they're all good it's fine books are good you should read books and that brings <laughs> yeah. us to the end of the book club uh let me thank my panelists heather thank you for being here sorry about the novel stuff that you were not involved with uh but you read the short fiction and you are absolutely invited to join us in our death march slash exciting adventure (laughs) in reading shortlist books for next year thanks for having me guys it was so much fun really enjoyed it next year and that was not a yes that was not a yes you're you no i'm in i'm in i'm in i'm so committed we'll see very very clever to not I, w- I wouldn't commitment. commit thank you uh thank you jason for for shepherding us uh, uh on this lovely march and we're alive so can it be a death march if we're alive it can't end? be i mean unless you're a resurrected corpse hey, oh. <laughs> hey. <laughs> eric ensign thank you I'm just kind of excited to read some of the books that I purchased while we were doing some of these book club episodes because you guys recommended them. Um, so now I get to read non-awards reading. Yay! And maybe they'll be nominated next year and I'll be ahead of the game. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Annalene Sims, thank you. I love a good book club episode and I'm so <laughs> glad we're done with the novel. <laughs> done! <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there who followed us on this journey. We will begin the journey anew 
at some point, but uh, not for a little while. And we'll be back at some point with a book club episode that wasn't assigned reading. Well, I'll assign it, <laughs> but it's not assigned by a faceless group of nominators. It'll just be assigned by me. Uh, until then, though, thank you for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>